Uh, welcome back to the 123 Show with me, Noreen Mayer, on this Thursday afternoon. And since it's Thursday, you know it. It's time for a bit of artsing around with the one and the only Andrew Dembina. Andrew, it's great to speak to you today. How are you doing? Good to speak to you too, Noreen. Doing well. How about yourself there? Yeah, very good. It's really quite sunny where I am. It's boiling here. I, I know we often talk, compare weathers and, and we temperature. Uh, is it rainy where you are, or sunny or cloudy? No, no, no. It's exactly the same for a change. The other, <laughs> the other day, we were probably only a couple of kilometres apart, and it was very different, wasn't it? Yeah, you um, were in Mongkok uh, last time, and there was a real sort of yeah. discrepancy. We were, we were having a cloudy day, but you were having a sunny day. Anyway, I'm sure the listeners didn't tune in to for us chatting about the weather. No, but it sets the tone. at the top of the hour. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, uh, looking, looking at uh, towards an increasingly n- normal set of goings-on in the arts, which is great, as these things continue, I thought I would look at some of the things that are going on, particularly in fine art this week. I often cover performance. Music has been featuring recently and, uh, and a few other types of, uh, of the arts. Uh, but it's all about fine arts today and public exhibitions too, which are attracting people to see big name artists, some of them and some of them not so well known. I'll start off outside of Hong Kong, if I may. And um, hopefully, if I don't want to say too much to jinx it, but you know, if COVID remains manageable, these are a couple of exhibitions that I would really love to see if I could in other parts of the world. I'll start off with America where I'm very unlikely to personally be, be going to see this, but it sounds very interesting. Uh, in L.A., to be exact, uh, at the five-star Hotel Bel Air, it's currently hosting a very rare exhibition of the late Bert Stern's photo collection called The Last Sitting with Marilyn Monroe. And the name of the collection reflects the very last time that the... Um, I mean, you know, we don't like to throw around the word iconic, but she is an iconic uh, blonde actress, Marilyn Monroe, very popular in the 1950s and 60s, who it was her last sitting for a photography session, a shoot in her um, in her adulthood, which was cut quite uh, short as she uh, did die at the age of 36. The location in the hotel that I mentioned is significant because uh, it is where... Uh, the shoot actually took place. And so uh, one late June afternoon in 1962, uh, just six weeks before she did pass away from an overdose of uh, barbiturates that she was prescribed, that she took too many, um, Marilyn Monroe arrived at this hotel, the Hotel Bel Air, um, not with an entourage, but just by herself, five hours late. Is that a diva or what? Sorry, oh. there. I bet there was yeah. a bit of tutting from the photographer there. <laughs> and uh, my, uh, mind you, um, it, she may have been five hours late, but that photo session took twelve hours. She was wow. uh, apparently, according, yeah, according to the late Bert Stern, who who passed away about eight years ago. He's quite a legendary. Um, American portrait photographer. Um, she was not in a hurry to be going anywhere once she arrived, and they were setting up across the hotel. Different casual um, ca- casual poses were became part of the portfolio. Uh, more formal ones with her wearing 
uh, in those days, very formal evening gowns and so on. And this was actually, it became something that um, wasn't planned to do so, but extended not just from that 12 hours, but into three days' worth of shooting. Not all, not all staying at the hotel and carrying on, but, uh, but it, would be, it would add up to three separate days at the same venue. And um, in total, the three days combined more than uh, 2,500 portraits, which were chosen to be kept and printed. So you can imagine how many more there may have been that didn't make the cut from those old uh, rolls of film that were used in those days, way before digital photography. Of exactly. Yeah, because with yeah. digital photography, you can just sort of select which ones you want. But it's just like rolls <laughs> yeah. and rolls of yeah. film. Exactly. Yeah, we might. We I might with if a family. They developed all of them. I'm sure they did, because you can't really uh, pick and choose how. No, that's right, and probably yeah, they wouldn't. They'd have to develop all the roles, but then they would develop them onto these. I don't know if you've ever seen these things called contact sheets, which were kind oh, of yes. uh, today today's version of thumbnails for, uh, for like looking at uh, kind of X-ray looking like thumbnails. Yeah, thing. it doesn't. It does look a bit like that, particularly as they're as they're mostly or often not always, but often it's black like... and white photos. Yeah. Um, uh, it does look like that, or it looks a bit like um, when you're going through an image file and looking at loads of tiny thumbnails of pictures on a computer. That's today's equivalent, perhaps. But, um, yeah, it was it, it's something that uh, is going to be on for quite a long time in Los Angeles. And the couple of pictures that I sent you, one of them has become a, a real much-used picture of her wearing a velvet black evening gown. I'll quickly say Christian Dior. I know we don't, we're not saying that that's a great brand or anything, but that's what it is. And, um, and she is, um, she was dressed in loads of different costumes for the, for, throughout this three-day shoot. Another one, she appears to be, that I said knew she appears to be wearing not very much, but holding a, uh, a glass of champagne. Um, the old-fashioned uh, pre- pre-1990s glasses of champagne, which are called coupe which are like a very wide type of champagne glass that was uh, what was drunk from when you're having champagne for the first about 70 or 80 years of the last century. Um, it must be amazing to see some of this exhibition. They're not going to be showing all 2,500 plus that, uh, <laughs> that made it to, to the photo. And in fact, the collection um, is starting off with a uh, smaller selection right now it just opened a few days ago and it's going to go on until uh, late um october till the end of october the 31st for anyone who may be planning to be going off to la or if you happen to be there if you're a listener if you're one of noreen's listeners from la you might want to you might want to check that out it's called the last sitting collection and um, colon Marilyn Monroe. Uh, the, the photographer, Bert Stern, just incidentally, said that uh, the reason he took so many is he wanted, to get, he wanted to get her in her relaxed state and not to be aware that the camera's there. I'm sure we've all heard this idea before from years ago from other either, either art photographers, portrait photographers, or fashion photographers saying that they want to capture someone in their natural surroundings. Today, we take it for granted, back to what we were saying before, where you might take two and a half thousand uh, uh, snaps at a, at a family weekend holiday. Um, it's, it's uh, you know, we don't even notice that, that all, well, sometimes we do, we might ham it up, of course everyone does, but, but, but the, 
pulling out of a, a phone from a pocket and taking snaps is just uh, the dumb thing, isn't it? Back in those days when you had something uh, with a serious lens on it, with a you know that weighed a couple of kilos around someone's neck, you certainly noticed that you were having photos taken. So I guess that's why it did take so many hours to get people like like her or other subjects to relax. I know. Often I um, think it's such a it's such an amazing job to be a cameraman when you see them sort of out and about with a massive lens because I mean that's not yeah. really change when you when you look at some sports photography or whatever. Actually, they're not really Especially lugging them sports. around. Yeah, sports photography they have those massive yeah. lenses. Yeah. Yeah. You, you, I mean, you you you're um, a regular um, broadcasting in normal times from Hong Kong Stadium for the Hong Kong Sevens, and that's where you see a lot of those <sighs> around, isn't it? Exactly. They're always all lined yeah. up there. Yeah. That, that was, yeah. That was image. I they're had. enormous. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, and it's, uh, when I uh, I did go to uh, uh, art school, I studied history of art and fine art, and I did do some uh, use use of photography with zoom lenses that were nowhere near as long as the sports photographers lenses that have to be micro zoom you know uh, it, it also is testament to them that if they just move a fraction of a millimeter the whole thing is out of focus or blurred so they have to have a pretty steady hand of course tripods are used as well but when you when you're moving to capture something that is happening whether it's sports or whether it's dancers for arts photography or whatever you have to move with a really steady calm hand mm. so uh yeah so that's something that's something that's going on in on the other side of the world and uh, another one is a second international exhibition of high interest uh, this time is uh, a female artist rather than a female subject of, uh, of another artist in previous case a photographer and this started from yesterday the 7th of july and it's going on also until late not quite the end of October. Uh, it's an exhibition of one of my favourite living painters. Um, it's the 80-something-year-old Paula Rago. And I've sent you a couple of pictures, Noreen, of some of her paintings as well. She's a very striking painter. I should say her paintings are very striking. Uh, and she's a figurative painter. Now, I, I, I mean, I really am drawn personally to paintings or drawings or other types of visual art that use the human form. Often, uh, I really do, I'm interested in those that appear to tell a story because it can be quite curious to try and work out what's going on. As with a lot of artworks, and we've discussed this before, you only sometimes get part of the story from a title. So one of the pictures, one of the paintings uh, of Paula Rego, who was born in Portugal and now lives in the UK, uh, and in her 80s. There's this big retrospective at the Tate Gallery, which has just begun until late October. The uh, the first image that I sent Noreen is uh, called simply The Family, and it's from 1988. And it shows a father being uh, dressed by what appears to be his wife uh, and one daughter helping him get dressed with another daughter over by a window. Now, I would say that uh, in more than one character, particularly in the daughter's eyes, there's something a little demonic. Would you agree, Noreen? Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's such a really good um, word to describe it. <laughs> yeah. It's very I mean, bizarre. I mean, they're dressing the dad, but it almost looks like they're... I don't know. Sending him, off, sending him off to be murdered or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Something <laughs> sinister air. happening there. <laughs> 
Definitely, definitely. Uh, where, where, whereas uh, it's, um, you know, at first glance, it might appear to be just, oh, his dad just getting dressed in his office stuff. That's nice. His uh, wife and couple of daughters are helping him get dressed. But, his um, eyes are it, 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 opened. His eyes look like they're closed, to be honest. Yeah, and, oh, and the way that creepy. his wife is... Uh, it is it is a bit creepy. And the way that his wife is kind of adjusting the cuffs of his suit, she's sort of smothering his mouth and nose with, with the uh, crook of her arm, you know, the inside of the elbow. Um, sort of not not yeah. not in a not in a kind of energetic way, but just kind of casually suffocating him, <laughs> which is yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah. But it the, is very striking the colours and the angles of yeah. uh, the yeah. shadows and the and shadows. Everything. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The girl at the window. Well, they're both of these daughters. But I would say, looking at the size of them, would probably be meant to be around eleven or so. Um, but the the girl at the window is casting a very long. Um, uh, you'd imagine early morning shadow if he's getting ready for work. Um, and it's, um, yeah, she's clasping her hands, looking like, oh, yes, we've got this. We've got this guy all trussed up now. Anyway, that's, that's, that's one painting. The other, the other one is called, um, which is lots of bright colours uh, and lots of strange pantomime-esque characters. It's called The Cast of Characters from Snow White, and that's from 1996. And this is painted across two canvases, and this that are very large indeed. And uh, again, there's uh, what appears to be joyful colour and movement going on between some of the performers, I should say. But there is something a little bit unsettling or disquieting about some of the stuff that's going on. So there, there are, there are dancers uh, who seem to be limbering up. There are uh, possibly animals which are either stuffed toys or there's a rabbit on the back of in the background of one of the canvases, who I, uh, which I think is a stuffed toy, but I, I don't think it's a rabbit costume that someone's dressed up in. It's hard to tell. Um, all, all of the, all of the, her stories, she came from a. Uh, a difficult time in Portugal. She was raised in Lisbon, and uh, in 1935. And at that time, she was uh, the, she was born into a period that was a, an authoritarian dictatorship that was going on at that time. And her parents were anti-fascist, which was the regime of dictatorship that was going on. And they were Anglophile. They liked the UK, even though they were living in Portuguese. It was something that they they, they were interested in. And they wanted her, their daughter to live in the UK. So at the age of 16, they packed her off to go to school in England. Mm. And then she went to study uh, fine arts at uh, the Slade School of Art in London, which is thought to be one of the best and still is. And uh, her story was an interesting one. Uh, Paola Rego herself, she met a fellow painting student whose name was Victor Willing, uh, who wanted to become a painter too. They married and they started their studio and started painting together. Uh, and for, for, for her and her family, because she still had a parents in Portugal, they went, they kind of yo-yoed backwards and forwards between Portugal and the UK and then eventually settled in the UK. Um, her, her, her husband passed away, but this is where she still lives and works now. Um, and all, her paintings are not all um, sinister, but uh, but a lot of them, a lot of them uh, do have something that makes you want to really look at them. They draw you in when you're looking at these things. They're enormous, they're many meters across and tall, and they are recognisable in having some sort of scene going on. They're, they're always very figurative 
and, uh, and and you don't get too much other information on what they're about. I quite like that. It's like solving a mystery yeah, in a way. Yeah, actually, it, it kind yeah. of looks like a, a, a mystery picture of some sort. And there's yeah. a lot of detail as well. I really love the shadows on their faces. Yeah. It makes them it's so... A lot of drama. Yeah, three-dimensional. Yeah. Oh, very yeah, cool. Yeah, indeed. Indeed. So um, find out more about that, uh, even if you can't get to see it in person, at uh, tate.org.uk. I'm crossing my fingers that I may be able to somehow wangle a way of seeing this before it... uh, before it is taken down on the 24th of October. Oh, it's, um, and her name is uh, it's, Paula Rago. Yeah, Paula, oh, Paula uh, Rago. So, Paula. so so P-A-U-L-A and then R-E-G-O. And you can look her up online to see, to see what Noreen and I were talking about in terms of the uh, images that she uses. There was a great documentary film on her in 2017, which is also worth a watch if you're able to find it which is called Paolo Rego Secrets and Stories, which is directed by her son, um, so uh, Nick, Nick Willing. So that's, that's, that, that, that'll give you a bit more of an insight into her work. Um, moving on to things that are currently on in Hong Kong, just a couple of uh, fine art-related exhibitions that are on. There's a, the work of an Indonesian painter who, is, who has a very good exhibiting um, uh, record in Asia and other parts of the world. Her name is Christine I. Tioje, and her exhibition is called Spinning in the Desert. Uh, I've sent you a couple of pictures. I've sent Noreen a couple of pictures which look very much like they are excerpts from nature. They look like, to me, they're oil paintings. They look as if they could have been, if you didn't know that, watercolour paintings. But they're very large, not as large as Paolo Rego we just mentioned, but they are three metres tall, about two or larger metres across, and they look like they are almost uh, biological studies or a, a very zoomed-in area of if you were going for a country hike and you came across some rocks and bits of vegetation. <laughs> um, I, I thought it was and, a heart. It kind of looks like the, the yeah, ventricles and, I don't know, some also, veins. Yeah. Yeah, they do. They do look quite organic uh, in a kind of uh, bio-organic sort of way. I agree. But when you get a bit closer, and I think in the gallery, when you stand a bit closer to them, it looks like a, an entanglement of uh, of roots and different uh, parts of organic growth. But yeah, they 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 do cross a, a sort of a line between what would be something that's a living entity and something that's growing in the ground. So in in that respect. They're quite abstract in a kind of a way. Um, and they are they actually are the results of her reflecting on her life during the COVID pandemic. Now, she's been producing work for a good couple of decades. Um, she's still considered a young artist. She's under 40, but she, she's in her 30s and she's been painting professionally uh, for a couple of decades. And these, these images are seen, even though they're mostly monochrome, which means black and white, there's very little colour, there's a little bit of brown, there's a little bit of blue, and a couple of earthy colours thrown in. But I think that they do almost look like, um, yeah, slightly unusual botanical studies, uh, and, a bit, and a bit abstract, because you, you can't tell exactly what they are when you first look at them. Um, she says, the artist herself says that she paints them intuitively. She goes for gestures she'll start a painting and then she'll she'll kind of uh 
go into almost a trance-like state, in her words, and see how the images and the forms develop between one another. And there's a lot of abstract painters who do that, even though hers look like they're, um, you know, they are something that could be organic and living. There are abstract painters, particularly the famous ones like Jackson Pollock from uh, the 1950s and 60s and others from America around that time who did abstract expressionism. They start off with something and then they would um, they would take it from what is on the canvas. They'd start with an idea from sketches or whatever was in their head, but then they would actually just engage with the medium that they're using, canvas or paintbrush or whatever else they're using. This particular painting... Uh, or her paintings, I should say, look like she's also in a couple of them using charcoal. Um, so I'm talking about the work here of Christine I. Chioje, uh, whose work is on at the moment at the White Cube Gallery, which is in Central. And you can find out more information at whitecube, or one word, dot com. Interesting works, something a bit different. Amazing. Well, Andrew, yeah. something for everyone, whether you're overseas in the in, in the US, in the UK, and something locally. I really hope you get to travel to to see some of the exhibitions that you talked about. Um, will some of them be online at least? Because it seems like the trend. Maybe yeah, we'll, we'll have to explore. Uh, yeah, certainly the um, the ones of the uh, Indonesian artist Tioje that I just mentioned. Her work you can you can actually see them uh, by going to White Cube Gallery. They're 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 all there, and you can see also um, how big the scale is. I mean, the measurements are all there to be seen, but also they have some good photographs of people looking at them in the gallery in Central. Um, and the Paolo Rego exhibition is not has not been put on line completely but you can see some examples uh, of the work at tate.org.uk because the uh, yeah they are, they're hoping to sell tickets this time when when they were shut down completely they did put everything online and that was good of them to do so in this case it's just a little teaser for the bel air hotel they have not put their works online so there will be uh, an extended amount of paintings from September till October the 31st for the Bel Air Hotel uh, exhibition in LA. And for the moment, while they've got fewer up there, the hotel website does not have images of these. But you might be able to Google around Marilyn Monroe, um, the final session that she uh, that she took, um, and her see what, yeah. yeah, look look for her there with LA publications telling you what's going on. It's called The Last Sitting with Marilyn Monroe. Excellent. Well, Andrew, thank you so much for joining us this afternoon, and I look forward to uh, chatting with you again next week, um, and have a lovely weekend, and we'll stay tuned to your program uh, this Saturday. Thank you very much. Uh, thanks very much. Have a good weekend too, Noreen, and afternoon. Bye for now. See you. Bye. Bye. Bye.